So, how you all been doing? Any of the steps uh, a little bit of a struggle for anybody? Anybody having a little difficulty with this thing? Uh, if you missed it over the last few weeks, we're in the middle of a series entitled Strong in the Broken Places, which is actually a series where we're working through the 12 steps, which we've discovered that the 12 steps are actually based on biblical principles and that the God is at the heart of the whole 12-step thing. So why don't we just like do a quick recap here. So week one, we uh, not only identified our issue, but we admit that we are powerless over our problems and that our lives have become unmanageable. However, we have come to believe that God can restore sanity to our lives. And then the next week, we talked about how we need to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. This was the wedding banquet conversation of putting on the wedding clothes, submitting fully to the will of God. And then Scott led us through, led us through out of denial into making a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves and then admitting to God ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And then, of course, last week, we made a decision that we're not just partially ready. Right? We're not just kind of ready, we are entirely ready to have God come in and clean house, remove all of these defects of character, all of our shortcomings, and completely start from scratch. So I, I would encourage you that um, if you um, have not been following along, I'd encourage you to really go back and, and I don't usually do this, but go back and watch, because I think that each step builds on the other. And we truly believe in the transformative power of the 12 steps if we really um, follow them and then following them step by step just like it's laid out. Now, if you have been here over the last few weeks, hopefully you've been ruminating and identifying your issue, that thing that is bigger than you are, that Goliath in your life that is causing your life to be off, that's preventing you from really living the life that God designed you to live. Now, I, I just want to say this because, you know, I've been a little hard on you about the whole issue thing and, you know, all that. So I just want to make it clear, like, we aren't doing this series really to create any shame or guilt or any of that. It's really just the opposite. Like, the goal of this series is to inspire us to have an honest conversation about the messed up areas in our lives so that we can really then move forward and create real life change. You know, I, I actually started Westridge because I was so, um, I felt so uncomfortable in the church. Like, I felt probably as judged in the church as I did anywhere else uh, in the world. And I couldn't relate with pastors who were leading seemingly perfect lives, primarily because mine was probably so screwed up. But uh, the truth is, I, I was uncomfortable talking about my struggles and my failures and my issues in the church, and I didn't feel like it was a safe place where I could rebuild my faith without being judged. And that's the reason you know, why I started Westridge. So, somewhere down the line, and I don't know how this started, that, you know, we were taught that Christians are supposed to be nice, happy, really polite people to the point that no matter what's happening in your life, when you walk through the doors of the church, 
that you're supposed to like put on this fake smile, this plastic smile, and you know, make sure that nobody knows what's really going on underneath because nobody really wants to know about it and it's not a safe place to talk about it. And the problem is when the church is trying to be a bunch of perfect, nice Christians, nobody ever feels safe talking honestly about the stuff that we struggle with. And so the, the fear is that somebody's life could be falling apart right in front of you and you have no clue because... They're too busy hiding it, making sure that nobody knows because nobody's, you know, comfortable with it. I mean, so, for example, in the church that I grew up in, if somebody were to, like, go into recovery, like, they'd never show their face back in church again. I mean, that would be too much shame uh, about that. Or you have, you know, a couple that was, like, part of the church, and everybody thinks, like, they're the great, you know, beautiful marriage couple and then all of a sudden they file for divorce and they disappear from the church and everybody goes, wow, that's really shocking because they seem like such a nice couple, right? It was like super surprised, almost like when they catch the mass murderer and the reporter goes to the next door neighbor and they interview him and the guy goes, wow, it's really surprising because we always thought he was such a what? Nice guy, right? My greatest fear is that Westridge becomes full of nice people. We don't want that. <laughs> I mean, really, we want this to be a safe place where people can talk honestly about our stuff, know that we're all messed up, ain't nobody any better than anybody else. We all got our issues, we all got our struggles, and let's get it on the table and work through it so that we can cross the finish line of this life together knowing that we finished so dig it, we got a bass player that can actually sing. It's like, how rare is that? Um, today, we're going to talk about the next two steps in the process, which um, deal with the issue of being open and honest and owning our stuff, uh, not just about our own stuff, but um, how it relates to other people. And so step eight says that we are to make a list of all the people we have harmed and become willing to make amends with them all. And then the follow-up step, step nine, says that we are then to actually go out and make direct amends with those people whenever possible, except when to do so would cause them harm to them or others. So this is really... <laughs> what we were talking about last week, where it requires us to be entirely ready to change because you can't get over the hump on this one if you aren't entirely ready because while none of the steps are easy, these particular steps, they are incredibly difficult about what we're asking you to do today. And so if, if we decide to, to take this step, to make amends with all of the people that we're not right with, then we make a decision. We're going to sit down and we're going to make a list. And it's going to be names of people, anybody and everybody, who we've ever wronged, harmed, caused pain in their lives, where there is still this open and unresolved issue with this person 
And we're going to be honest about the damage that we've caused in their life. I mean, here's the problem. Is that when we're struggling with these issues, it flows over into other people's lives. Like, it's just not my own personal issue. Other people have to deal with my issues. So I don't care what issue you're dealing with, whether it's pride or anger or sex or alcohol or control or negativity. It doesn't matter what it is. When these issues are eating away at us, and many times the unintended consequence of our behavior is that we hurt other people, either directly as a result of our behavior or us trying to hide our behavior. They become collateral damage as the result of our own personal struggle. And so today I'm asking you, can you think of anybody, anybody at all, that you've hurt? People along the way that you need to get right with. People you've caused pain. People that you have wronged. For those of you who are still in denial about the fact that you have any issues at all, um, I have taken the liberty of creating some suggestions for you because I'm sure it's going to be difficult for you to figure out anybody at all that you could possibly have hurt in this world. And so here's a few starters that I put down just as a way to get the old mind going. All right? So is there anybody that I have borrowed money from that I have not repaid? Is there anyone that I've ever made a promise to and I've broken that promise or I've not followed through? Is there anyone that I'm guilty of being controlling with? Is there anyone I just speak badly to? You're just kind of generally crappy to that person. A spouse, one of your kids, an employee. Is there anyone that I've said some mean things to? I was harsh with that person and I never apologized. Is there anyone that I'm just overly critical of and I'm just judgmental toward them? Have I been verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive with anybody? Is there anyone I know I've hurt their feelings by something that I've said or did? Have I lied to anybody and not cleaned that up? Now, there's hundreds of possibilities, you know, beyond this list, but is there anything in this list that kind of rings true for you? Because coming to a point of realization where I can be honest and face the truth that I really have hurt somebody in my past is a big step. And then to, like, put it down on paper and make a list of those people and, I, you know, and, and what I've done specifically to hurt them or to wrong them or to cause them pain because you know what, we would much rather sweep that stuff under the rug and just kind of ignore it and pretend like it never happened or minimize it like it wasn't that big a deal, so I don't need to deal with this. It's really hard to face that. But then to take the next step, that's even harder. To go to that person, look them in the eye, and sincerely apologize for what it is that you did to them, that is a really super hard step 
to take. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite uh, kids' books, Going on a Bear Hunt. Anybody know Going on a Bear Hunt? I love this book. If you, don't have, if you have kids, you should get this book. But it's about four kids who wake up every day, and they say, today we're going on a bear hunt, and we're going to catch a bear, a big bear. We're not scared. We can do it. Woo-hoo. So every day they're like pumping themselves up about going out and getting a bear. And with that, they would set out on their journey to catch a bear. Well, each day on their bear hunt, they encounter some different obstacle. And here's what I love about the story, because every time they encounter some obstacle, they all say this together. They say, can't go over it, can't go under it, got to go through it. And so they encounter this really big river, splash, splosh, can't go over it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. And then they came to thick, oozy mud. Squish, squash. And can you guess what they said? (laughs) Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. Along the way in our journey toward change, we hit roadblocks. We hit obstacles really, really difficult obstacles that we have to work through. And those obstacles are necessary for us to work through those issues if we want to have any hope of getting onto the other side of it and moving forward with transformation and healing. We can't leave these open unresolved wounds out there that will continue to fester because if we leave them out there and just continue to try to ignore them, they will continue to get worse and eat at us like a cancer over time. Unfortunately, there's no way around it. There's no way over it. We just got to go right stinking through it. It's no fun, but it is very much part of the journey. This step actually comes right out of the Bible. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, he says, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. He says, if you are at a place of worship, if you're at church, and you're getting ready to give your offering." He says, and all of a sudden you remember that there is somebody that has a grudge against you because of something that you've done to them. Stop. Leave your offering. Walk out of church and go resolve your issue with that person. And until you've resolved it, don't come back. Now that doesn't mean it has to be resolved on both ends, but you've done your part. And then come back, then and only then, and work things out with God. So the Bible teaches us that before we can get healthy in our relationship with God, before we can get right with God, we've got to get right with the people that we have harmed in our lives first. And it doesn't mean that if we go out and try to reconcile that all of a sudden they're going to drop the grudge against us and and move on. It means that we have done our part to make amends. And it's here that our pride rears up its ugly head once again as being the biggest barrier in this step because I'm telling you to give an honest, 
heartfelt apology is coming to a place of humility with no pride, no ego, very exposed, vulnerable, just a simple request for forgiveness. And it's then and only then that healing can begin is when we stand in front of that person, we look them in the eye, and we say, I'm sorry. Probably two of the most difficult words for any of us to say. I'm sorry. Now, one of the most important things to remember when you're going into a moment of apologizing is to not bring some weak butt apology into that conversation. Because how many of us have like gone in to apologize and all of a sudden we're skirting around the apology, making it about everybody else except about me, right? I'm sorry you took it that way. <laughs> I'm sorry that you feel that way. Is that apology? No, what that's saying is, I'm still right. You're still wrong. You just took it the wrong way. I'm sorry for you. That's no apology. Or that you try to excuse your behavior and you say, man, you know what? I was just really drunk and it was the alcohol talking, so I'm, I'm sorry that I, I was drunk and did that. Or you try to blame somebody else and said, well, if it wasn't for them, this would have you know, never happened. An apology is where you just own your own junk, Right? There's no excuses. There's no finger pointing. It's just realizing that you've done something bad to this person and it's probably worse than you think because we're typically in denial about how bad that thing really is. And we try to minimize the wrong that we've done. A sincere, heartfelt apology with, begins with words like, I was wrong. There is no excuse for my behavior. I was a jerk. I am so, so sorry. And authenticity can be read in your face in moments like that. And by the way, this is not like a one and done thing. Because... We have an amazing capacity to screw up our lives and to hurt other people's feelings. And so this is something we can actually become a professional at, really, as an apology thing. But here's what the hope is, is that we can catch it quicker than we have in the past. Right? That maybe even in the moment, you can stop and say, gosh, you know what? That was stupid. <laughs> before it even festers, before it even has a chance to become a bad thing, that you stop it and say, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I don't even know where that came from. I am super sorry. So that we can minimize the harm that occurs over time. Now, one of the nuances of this step is that we're to actually make direct amends with those people whenever possible, except when to do so would cause harm to them or to others. Sometimes we have hurt people so deeply that it can never be repaired. And it's possible that by attempting reconciliation in that situation that it could actually cause even more harm. And so there are times 
that it is not possible to make direct amends. And in those type of situations, you can still make amends with God. You can still ask for his forgiveness, be completely humbled in, in what we're asking, and create a transformational change that is completely wipes out the behavior where we hurt that person. There is also the scenario where it is possible that we can go to somebody that we have hurt and we ask for forgiveness and they say no, <laughs> that they don't forgive us, right? And maybe they're not ready to forgive. And boy, does that make us mad, right? Like, how dare you? I come to you, I'm so humble, and here you go, you don't even accept my apology. Like, we're all incensed about that. But I can't make somebody believe that I'm different now. I can't make somebody believe that my motives are pure when I have caused that person pain. I can't make somebody accept my apology. All I can do is to get up the courage, to have the inner fortitude, to go face-to-face with that person that I've wronged, look them in the eye, and say, I'm sorry. Because all I can do is my part, right? All I can do is my part. What they do with it, that's them, and that's not to be judged by us. We can only do our part. But it's necessary to take that step and walk through it. I got to tell you, (laughs) I have messed up a lot in my life. And I have found myself in the uncomfortable position of looking somebody in the eye, standing before them and having beaten ten shades of red that, you know, where I'm apologizing. And there's been times when I've had people not accept my apology. But there's also been times when that moment of apology has actually created this incredibly awesome relationship between us because now there is a a relationship that is built on trust and honesty, and it's then that the healing can begin in your relationship. So can you find the strength and the humility to take this step and make things right? There's a a sign that hangs in some 12-step centers around the country, and I love it. It says, would you rather be right, or would you like to get well? And I think that's so profound because it's a choice that we have to make. Are we going to let our pride stop us from admitting that we've made mistakes and be defensive and say, you know what, they need to apologize to me. They were just as wrong as me. But is it possible that, is it possible that maybe we're both wrong? And that we just take responsibility for our part in the equation. So, on a real practical level, probably the most challenging relationships is husband and wife relationships. Can we find the courage to go to our our spouse and say, you know what? I have not treated you with the love and respect that you deserve. Can you forgive me? Sometimes it's our kids. I mean, we're just raging against our kids. We have no patience, and we just yell at them all the time. Can we have the humility to say to our kids, I'm sorry. I was wrong for yelling at you. I lost my temper. And can we admit that there are people 
that we have left in the wake of our lives, in all of our issues and struggles and all the junk and the mess that we've hurt, that we've caused pain, can we find the strength to say, I'm sorry. There is nothing that melts relational barriers like a simple I'm sorry. But the opposite is also true. If I don't own it and I don't make amends with those people, that barrier, it stays there for the rest of our lives. And I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me, I just wish I had the opportunity to see them one more time, to have one more conversation. I just wish that I could talk to them for one minute and just say, I'm sorry. Don't wait until it's too late to make amends. It's not easy. We can't go over it. Can't get around it. You got to walk right through it. But when we do, that's when the healing begins.